Have you ever woken up in the middle of eating a sandwich? Felt paralyzed in your own bed? Or maybe you've heard an earth-shattering explosion just as you were falling asleep that nobody else heard? Well, there's a name for these strange happenings in the night. They're called parasomnias. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Wu. Every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Today, we'll learn about parasomnias, a truly bizarre set of sleep disorders that are super fascinating and sometimes a little frightening. In 1833, in Springfield, Massachusetts, a young servant woman named Jane began to attract attention from the foremost medical experts of the time. She was a sleepwalker, and her sleepwalking was extraordinary. She would get out of bed and complete full sets of chores, like setting the table, arranging clothes. One witness even saw her thread a needle, sew a cloth bag, and use that bag to cook a piece of meat in a boiling pot of water, all in the dark, all while she was asleep. Sadly, Jane's strange symptoms landed her in an insane asylum. The eminent doctors of the time tried all sorts of tinctures and medicines and even leeching, but her sleepwalking was never cured. She eventually convinced her doctors to just give up on her, and she was able to go back to living a quiet life, thankfully. But Jane was not the first nor the last sleepwalker to capture the public's morbid curiosity. In 1987, a Canadian man named Kenneth Parks drove 14 miles to his in-law's home and killed his mother-in-law with a tire iron. Covered in blood, he went straight to the nearest police station to confess, and he claimed that he was asleep during this whole event. And a later sleep study did show that his brain activity was indeed very abnormal. Ultimately, the jury found him to be innocent of murder. And since then, a few dozen homicide cases have hinged on the sleepwalking defense, now infamous. What both Jane and Kenneth Parks experienced were parasomnias. This is a term that covers a range of sleep disorders and disturbances from the common to the truly bizarre. These extreme sleepwalking events that we just talked about, very rare you're incredibly unlikely to thread a needle or commit homicide in your sleep. In fact, sleepwalking homicides are so extremely rare, and there's still doubt as to whether sleepwalking is really what was happening in those cases. But some degree of sleepwalking is actually pretty common, and so are other parasomnia symptoms. So today, let's take a look at them and talk about what they are and what you can do about them. Let's start by delving a little bit deeper into sleepwalking. Its medical name is somnambulism. If you've ever woken up and found yourself outside your bed with no idea how you got there, you may have experienced it. You may even have woken up to find yourself looking at a half-eaten cake, in the middle of a phone conversation, or even driving. And that's why sleepwalking isn't just spooky for onlookers. It can actually be dangerous. In fact, more than half of adult sleepwalkers have exhibited violent behaviors while sleepwalking. 
17% have ended up with enough injury to need medical attention, like one patient in a big study who jumped out of a third-floor window while totally asleep. The real enigma is that most sleepwalkers don't feel pain while sleepwalking, even if they're getting injured. So what to do about all this? Well, if you see someone sleepwalking, gently guide them back to bed. Don't try to wake them up. If you sleepwalk repeatedly, talk to your doctor about reviewing your medications or possibly getting a sleep study. Meanwhile, you may want to lock the front door, hide your car keys, put away anything else that can be dangerous before going to bed. And weirdly enough, sleepwalking can be triggered by strong, positive emotions. Of course, you shouldn't avoid all things joyful just for the fear of sleepwalking. But if you're prone to sleepwalking, consider meditating and doing a wind-down period before bedtime to help you be more even-keeled as you enter sleep. Now let's talk about a close cousin to, or maybe even something that falls under the umbrella of sleepwalking, and that's sleep-related eating disorder. This is when someone involuntarily eats food while they're sleepwalking. And like sleepwalkers, sleep eaters often also have insomnia and sleepiness during the day. But it's possible that some of them have more awareness during sleep eating episodes than regular sleepwalkers. Sometimes this can lead to significant weight gain because those who have a sleep-related eating disorder cannot control their food intake during the night. To help yourself with this, avoid alcohol and drugs, decrease stress, and keep a regular sleep-wake schedule. If these don't help, a sleep doctor may prescribe medications or check to see if there are other underlying sleep or other medical problems. Now let's talk about something that looks like sleepwalking sometimes, but is not. It's called a REM behavior sleep disorder, or RBD for short. This happens when someone acts out their dreams. So first of all, one difference between RBD, or REM behavior sleep disorder, and sleepwalking is that RBD happens during REM sleep, which you have in the second half of the night, whereas sleepwalking usually happens during deep sleep which you get during the first half of the night. Another difference is that during a sleepwalking episode, the sleeper is not dreaming and is not at all aware of what they're doing. For the most part, their behaviors are pretty calm and neutral. But during an RBD episode, the sleeper is dreaming and acting out whatever is happening in that dream. And it's usually a violent action like fighting or running or jumping out of bed Though sometimes it can also be a sophisticated action, like playing the piano. Usually, your brain essentially turns off your muscles, something called REM atonia, so you don't act out your dreams, because obviously this can get you into trouble. For someone with RBD, the safety mechanism fails, and their dream spills over into the body, playing it like a puppet. So what to do about REM behavior sleep disorder? Well, here, safety is the most important concern. Most patients have no idea they were acting out their dreams until their bed partner ended up with a black eye or they woke up to find themselves terrorizing the dog. So, listen to your spouse when they say that you've been acting out at night. Then, consult a sleep neurologist who can help you to manage your symptoms. 
Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen. Now let's talk about sleep terrors. They're also called night terrors. Sleep terrors seem, well, terrifying. You might sit up in bed or even jump out of bed, screaming and inconsolable for a few seconds or even a number of minutes. Sometimes people use the terms sleep terrors and nightmares interchangeably, but they're actually totally different. Nightmares are dreams that are disturbing, sometimes scary enough to wake us up in a panic and might even affect our mood during the day. These typically happen in the second half of the night because dreaming happens mostly during REM sleep. I've actually dedicated a whole episode previously to nightmare prevention, so check that out if you're interested. In contrast to nightmares, sleep terrors happen during deep sleep, which is during the first half of the night, where there are no dreams involved. Someone in the middle of a sleep terror episode is not really awake. They're disoriented, terrified, and can't really coherently talk about what's happening. The next morning, they may not even remember what happened. If someone woke you during a sleep terror, you would have no idea why you were feeling so scared. What to do about sleep terrors? Well, first thing to know is that they're actually not uncommon in young children. Thankfully, sleep terrors are not harmful in and of themselves, and they're really more scary for the parents than the kids themselves, who don't even usually remember their nighttime horrors the next day. For parents, you should not try to wake the child up during a sleep terror, but instead calmly monitor their safety during the event and act normally during the day. If the sleep terror tends to happen at the same time of the night, you can gently wake up your child about half an hour before the usual terror time. This can often prevent the sleep terror from happening at all. And making sure your child gets enough sleep can help too. And don't worry, having sleep terrors doesn't mean that your kid has emotional problems or trauma. They'll most likely outgrow the disorder. So you can finally get some sleep yourself too. The next couple of parasomnias on our list are sleep paralysis and hypnagogic or hypnopompic hallucinations. If you've ever woken up completely unable to move and perhaps felt a heaviness on your chest and a sense of fear or doom, you have experienced a sleep paralysis episode. Sometimes along with the paralysis, people also see, hear, or feel things that aren't there. These are called hypnogogic or hypnopompic hallucinations. 
Usually, people describe seeing shadowy figures in the room or standing over their bed or spiders crawling on their walls or in their bed. And we've talked about the sleep paralysis and related hallucinations in another episode recently, including how these experiences have spawned alien abduction theories. So check that out. I really love that episode. Now, what to do about sleep paralysis and these hallucinations? Well, just like for most other parasomnias, consistently getting enough sleep, keeping a steady sleep schedule, and avoiding substances could usually help. And last but not least, this is a truly interesting and bizarre, and I think my favorite parasomnia. It's called exploding head syndrome. This is where a person hears or feels a very loud noise in their head, usually during that blurry period just before falling asleep or just upon waking, which I like to call the twilight zone. So the loud noises can feel like an explosion inside your head, though there's usually no pain involved. Or they can sound like a loud banging or crashing, a door slamming or thunder or electric crackles. And this is a pretty rare and interesting one. Sleep scientists have not quite reached a consensus on exactly why this happens, but it seems that stress and emotional tension might make it more likely to occur. Usually, just putting a name to it and learning that this scary experience doesn't actually indicate any serious problems is enough to help. So we've covered some interesting sleep disorders today, including sleepwalking, sleep eating, REM behavior sleep disorder, which is acting out your dreams, night terrors, nightmares, and the really creepy sleep paralysis and hallucinations that go along with them, and the aptly named exploding head syndrome. So let's do a quick roundup of the tips that we have for what to do about parasomnias, because usually these are about the same for the different parasomnias, whether you have just one of them or a couple of them, experience them frequently or infrequently, there are a few universal things that tend to help. Generally speaking, parasomnias can be decreased by having better quality sleep overall. Or they might be a medication side effect or a symptom of a more serious medical condition. Some of these, there might not be too much you can do about them besides seeing a sleep neurologist or getting a sleep study to learn more about your condition. But for some of these, you can at least start by trying the following. First, ensure safety. Lock doors and put away car keys. Maybe sleep in a separate room from your spouse or partner and keep sharp objects out of reach. Number two, stabilize your sleep schedule. Parasomnias often happen because of an incomplete transition between waking and sleeping. By keeping a steady biological clock, you can actually help your brain to transition between sleep and wake more normally and thereby preventing some parasomnia symptoms. And related to that, tip number three is to get enough sleep. Sleep deprivation is a very common trigger for parasomnias, especially for sleep paralysis. This might be why students, who are notorious for pulling all-nighters, are more prone to this symptom. Tip number four is to minimize alcohol and drugs. Substances that affect your brain function which is most recreational drugs and alcohol, of course, can affect your sleep and even your dreaming. Tip number five is to ask your doctor about your medications. 
Sometimes medications prescribed for insomnia, depression, or other psychological disorders might actually induce parasomnias as a side effect. There may be other options or options to adjust your medication if they're actually causing nighttime problems for you. And lastly, you can ask your doctor about getting a sleep study if none of these other tips help. Sometimes symptoms like sleep-related hallucinations and sleep paralysis might actually indicate narcolepsy. Acting out dreams and having frequent nightmares might indicate a neurological or psychiatric condition, which also requires specialized care. But sometimes parasomnias like sleep terrors or exploding head syndrome might not indicate anything at all. Getting a full workup with a sleep specialist can help either to reassure you or to point you towards the right treatment. And actually, just an additional note, and a personal note too, is that in the first four weeks postpartum, right after I had my baby, I experienced almost every single parasomnia, except for sleepwalking. I don't think I did that, but I did all of the other ones in the book. So sometimes just by virtue of having your sleep totally disrupted, like we mentioned, not getting enough sleep, sleeping at different times than usual, having your sleep being broken up can induce these parasomnias. But you'll be happy to hear that after these first few weeks, my parasomnias completely went away after my sleep stabilized, when my baby's sleep started to stabilize a little bit too. So now everything is fine. So if you're experiencing temporary parasomnias due to a temporary change in your sleep, don't worry too much. This is not a forever thing. It'll probably resolve on its own when your sleep goes back to normal. That being said, if your parasomnia is getting worse or you just feel like your sleep deprivation is getting worse or your sleep disruption is not resolving, whether you're postpartum or otherwise, please go ask your doctor about it. Sometimes these parasomnias, like I mentioned, can indicate other sleep or psychiatric or neurological disorders, and you'd rather catch that early rather than late. And specifically in the postpartum case, we really want to make sure that your sleep deprivation is not getting so out of hand that it's interfering with your mood and interfering with your ability to care for your child and for yourself. All right, that's it for my extra PSA for pregnant moms and postpartum moms. Thanks so much for listening. Let me know if you've ever experienced a parasomnia or any other strange sleep-related events that we didn't cover today. Let's continue the conversation on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at QDT Savvy Psych. I'm also at Jade Wu PhD. We can also keep in touch through the Savvy Psychologist newsletter. Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind. Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called The Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart 
and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The anxietycoachespodcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.